like it was written by Jim Cantore instead of King David. Uh, now, you may not know who Jim Cantore is, so that may have went right over you. Uh, but he's an American meteorologist, uh, best known as an on-air personality on the Weather Channel. He's my mom's favorite. Um, and it's well documented about Jim Cantore that he's got a fascination with an unusual phenomenon called thunder snow. Now, thunder snow is exactly what it sounds like. It's a thunderstorm with snow as the precipitation instead of rain. It's evidently a very rare occurrence. Has anybody ever been in thunder snow? I got one or two hands. I haven't. So if you ever experience one or maybe in the future experience one, just know how rare of an occurrence it is. Well, here at the outset this morning, I want to share another just short video with you. Uh, and this one is of Jim Cantore and his reaction when he experiences a thundersnow on live television. Here he is. Watch this. Oh, yes! 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 We got it, baby! We got it! We got it! Woo! Woo! We got it! Yes! Listen to that! Listen to that! Oh, baby! Oh, again! Again! That's a twofer! That's a twofer, baby! Yes! Yes! Again! That's a three! You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me! And there's another one. That's number, you gotta be kidding me. Wow. You can have your $500 million jackpot in Powerball or whatever the heck it was, but I'll take this baby. Four, four lightning strikes, four episodes of thunder snow. I can hear thunder, uh, so we had another one. So we actually had five, five strikes, five thunder. I mean, this is just a total change. Literally within an hour, we, uh, was that another one? Was that? Oh my good, dude, that's number six. You gotta be kidding me! I love, I love his reaction to the weather, right? Um, especially after the fourth thunder snow, when it just kind of, he was just taken aback. And he was speechless there for a moment, just kind of overcome with emotion by the thunder snow. So hopefully with seeing that clip this morning, you understand what I mean when I say that Psalm 29 reads like it was written by Jim Cantore. Interestingly, if you read any of the commentaries, they point out about Psalm 29 that in the early church, this psalm was read to children or to congregations during storms. So the next time your little ones wake up scared during the night because of a thunderstorm, grab a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 29 and allow David to lead you in prayer. Let's look at this psalm. It follows a very simple three-section structure. Section 1 verses are verses 1 and 2, and it's a call to praise. That's the first section. Section 2 uh, is the main section, is that central section, which is verses 3 through 9, and I've titled that part, The Forecast Calls for Glory. 
And then the last section, section 3, verses 10 and 11, is a storm summary. All right? So those are the three sections. Call to praise, the forecast calls for glory, and then lastly, a storm summary. And we're just going to kind of walk through and look at each one of those three sections this morning. So let's start with this first section, verses 1 and 2, a call to praise. James Montgomery Boyce wrote a commentary on the entire collection of 150 psalms, which is quite an accomplishment. And he wrote that Psalm 29 is unlike any that we've seen thus far in the Psalter, in that it consists entirely of praise to God. So you may have noticed our, our song selection this morning as we worship together in song was all praise. It was all praise to God. This psalm has no other elements in it. There's no lament. There's no thanksgiving. There's no petition. It's just pure praise. And I really like that phrase. It's pure praise because, you see, that's what it is. It's nothing but praise. It's, it's praise that has been refined by the fire. It's praise that has been through the storm. It's praise that has been tried and and tested. It's pure praise. And so this first section of the psalm is a call to praise. Now, if you notice, the call is repeated three times. So it sounds like an alert from the National Weather Service. You know what I'm talking about? You'll be driving in your car, listening to the radio, and then all of a sudden you're just jolted into reality by that ernt, 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 right? It's the National Weather Service. And that's how I want you to hear these first verses, this call to praise. Three times in these two verses prior to the coming of the storm, there's an alert. And it's a call to praise. Ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but um, ascribe is not a word that I use very often. Perhaps you do in your vocabulary, but I don't. And so I'm really not just, I'm not really that familiar even with what the word means. What does it mean to ascribe to the Lord? The KJV translates it literally as Give to the Lord. That's what the, that's what the word literally means, to give to the Lord. So in today's language, the kids might say that it means to give God his props. It means, it means to give someone their proper respect. It means to give someone their proper recognition that they deserve. And in verse 1, David calls on the mighty ones here to ascribe to the Lord, to give God his props, to praise God. And so this call to worship is directed to the angels and to the heavenly beings. That's who the mighty ones are. You see, David in this psalm is serving as the role of worship leader. And here he calls on the angels to praise God. Now, push pause just for a second. This is a poem. 
Okay, so it's important to, to remember that. Angels don't literally have to be told or called upon to praise God. It's what they're always doing. But, but what, what David is acknowledging in this psalm is that this is where it all begins. Praise begins in the heavens. You see, David here is just encouraging the angels to do their thing. To give God his props. To give God glory and strength. To give the Lord the glory due his name. The praise in this psalm begins in the heavens. It's where it all starts. When we're asleep at night, the mighty ones are ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name. When we're busy at work, the mighty ones are ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name. When we're watching the Cats beat Tennessee in basketball yet again, the mighty ones are in the heavens ascribing glory to the Lord. That's, that's what's happening right now in the heavens. That's where it begins. So what David is showing us here is that any time we enter into praise, we should start by simply acknowledging that the angels have been there all along doing it already. It's already been happening in the heavens. And we're just joining in. And notice here what they're ascribing to the Lord in verses 1 and 2. What are they ascribing to the Lord? They're ascribing to him glory. Glory. Interestingly, the Hebrew word that's translated as glory here has the root meaning of weight or heaviness. And so this helps us to see that glory has to do with weight. Now, when I speak of glory having to do with weight, what I'm talking about is, is worth or value. See, things of worth or value are often measured by their weight. Are you following me? For example, take a diamond, right? A two-carat diamond, which is heavier by weight is worth more than a one-carat diamond, which doesn't weigh as much. And so when we talk about uh, this root of glory being weight, then glory and worth are similar concepts. So very literally, when we give God glory, here's what we're saying. We're saying that he weighs more in our lives. Does that make sense? We're saying that he's worth more to us than other things. If I have two things, which is worth more to me? Well, God tips the scales for us. He weighs more. When I give God the glory, I'm saying that he weighs more to me. He's worth more to me than anything else. C.S. Lewis um, 
has a little compilation of sermons called The Weight of Glory. Um, And there's actually a sermon titled in that compilation that he titled The Weight of Glory. Um, And it's it's awesome. Um, And I can't, can you imagine actually having like to sit and and be able to hear C.S. Lewis preach? He wasn't showing Jim Cantore videos in his sermons, I can guarantee you that, but I love one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. It's from this sermon, The Weight of Glory, and here's what he said. He said, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Isn't that a great quote? He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. I love that quote because it speaks to that idea of weight and worth of God. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's just really awesome and unbelievable to me in so many ways um, what all's happening out at Asbury uh, in these last two weeks. Um, a couple of us from the staff went out there uh, this past Monday and spent the morning there, and I know many of you have been out there as well. Um, you know, the fingerprints of God are just all over it, and students are leading it, and the faculty and staff there are wisely shepherding it. There's, a, there's just a humility, and there's a, there's a grace and a gentleness about what's happening out there that you just experience when you participate in it. Um, but one of my favorite stories that's come out of Asbury this week is about an interaction that I was told about between a professor and a student. And the student asked the professor if he could miss class in order to be at chapel. And the professor told the student that if he misses class, that he'll not get as good of a grade on his upcoming test. But then he encouraged him to go to chapel because Jesus is worth it. See, which, what, what weighs more in your life? To who are you ascribing glory to? To what are you ascribing glory What has the most weight? This psalm begins in the throne room of heaven with the angels giving glory to the Lord. That's where it starts. It's a call to praise. And then it gets real interesting. Verses 3 through 9 here, um, these verses, this, this, this main section, it reads like a weather forecast. Except instead of precipitation, this forecast calls for glory. And so these, uh, these verses um, form the main section of this psalm. And you'll quickly notice, if you look at your Bibles, um, again, that David uses repetition here. In these verses, the phrase that's repeated over and over and over again is the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. And what I want you to see here in verse 3 at the outset is that the voice of the Lord is compared to the thunder of a great storm. 
Listen to verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. Now remember, this is a psalm. This is a poem. The imagery here is when the thunder claps, when the thunder rolls. It's like the voice of the Lord declaring and revealing to all who have ears to hear the glory of God. The God of glory thunders. So as we read through this section this morning, um, we're going to be storm chasers this morning in a sense, if you will, as we kind of follow the storm from verse 3 and as it takes us all the way down to verse 9. And so I brought a map with me. And so if you'll put that map up on the screen for everyone to see, here's a map of ancient Palestine during the time of David. Um, We're going to assume that David was around Jerusalem when he wrote this psalm. And so you can find Jerusalem there really kind of right at the center. Um, You have the Mediterranean Sea, but then the other large body of water there is the Dead Sea. And right to the left of the top of the Dead Sea there is Jerusalem. So we're going to assume that David was near Jerusalem when he wrote this psalm. Um, And so as he writes this seven times, the voice of the Lord is repeated. In verse 3, we initially hear the voice of the Lord arising out over the waters, so out in the Mediterranean Sea, far away to the northwest. You can hear the distant thunder, and, and every time you hear the thunder, it's the voice of the Lord saying, ascribe to the Lord glory, the glory of God, ascribe to the Lord glory. Then in verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is majestic, The thunder rolls closer. It becomes louder as the storm moves inland. In verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks into pieces the cedars of Lebanon. And so if you look at our map, the top two cities on the map are Sidon and Tyre. Those are the two main cities in Lebanon. There along the coast. Lebanon is known for their cedar trees there along the coast. And so these cedars would grow to a height of 80 feet and to a circumference of about 40 feet. So they're just these enormous trees, kind of like our sequoias uh, in California. Yet at the thunderous voice of the Lord in the storm, they break into pieces. Then in verse 6, he makes the mountains of Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. Now, most Bibles note there that Syrian is another name for Mount Hermon. And so you'll notice on the map, just to the right, in between Tyre and Sidon, you have Mount Hermon. Uh, Mount Hermon uh, is the highest uh, mountain in Israel. It was over 9,000 feet above sea level. And so this storm, this voice of the Lord is causing even this huge mountain to leap like an ox. And so the storm moves further inland. And then in verse 7, the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. So, you know in a storm, uh, I don't know how many of you get into storms at all, but you know in a storm, the lightning strikes and then the thunder claps. Um, And after seeing the lightning, the sooner you hear the clap of thunder, the closer you are to the storm. Now, I don't know how accurate this is, but I've always been told that there's a five-second rule. And so for every five seconds that go by between seeing the lightning and hearing the thunder, 
you're one mile away from the storm for every five seconds. And when there's no time in between the two, when the lightning and the thunder happen at the same time, then the storm's upon you. That's when it's the most intense. That's when the lightning lights up the sky, and at the exact same time, the thunder's so loud that it rumbles in your soul. And in verse 7, that's what happens. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. And so the storm has arrived. What was off in the distance is now upon them. So the storm comes inland, takes a turn south, and now is at Jerusalem. And then finally in verses 8 and 9, we read, the voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And so you can notice on the map down at the very bottom is Kadesh Barnea. That's where the desert of Kadesh is located. So the storm has moved through Jerusalem, has traveled further south, about 200 miles into the desert, and that's where it finally disperses. Wow. What a storm. The voice of the Lord thunders seven times. Ascribe to the Lord glory. Ascribe to the Lord glory. Ascribe to the Lord glory. All the way from the Mediterranean Sea, hits land at Lebanon, takes a turn at Mount Hermon, moves south through Jerusalem, and then on out into the desert of Kadesh. Ascribe to the Lord glory. And so... In verses 1 and 2, all of his angels give glory to the Lord. Then in verses 3 through 9, all of his creation gives glory to the Lord. And then lastly, in verse 9b, the climax, all of his people give glory to the Lord. His people, 9b tells us, gather in his temple and all cry glory. All of his angels, all of his creation, and all of his people. So to recap, the glory of God begins in the heavens, comes to earth, moves like a thunderstorm throughout the land and concludes in the temple where all the people gather to cry, glory. You see, this is a psalm of praise. And the forecast calls for glory. It's beautiful imagery of a land being shaken and a people being transformed by the voice of the Lord so that all of creation and all of his people will join all of his angels scribing to the Lord glory. And here's what I love about the way this is written. The voice of the Lord calls us to praise God through the storm. 
You know, the practice for, for hundreds of years has been for God's people to read this psalm during a storm. And the next time there's a storm, let me encourage you to follow David's lead here. And every time you hear thunder, hear it as the voice of the Lord calling all of his creation and all of his people to join all of his angels to praise him. Ascribe glory to his name. Last section here, the last two verses, is the storm summary. So we've had a call to praise. We've had this forecast that calls for glory. And then lastly is this storm summary in verses 10 and 11. Again, you'll notice here that there's repetition. The Lord uh, happens four times, right? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord in these two verses. The Lord uh, is enthroned. That happens twice. And then the Lord gives to his people, and the Lord blesses his people. And here's the big summary. Here's the big takeaway uh, for me. I want you to remember um, to a time when you witnessed a big storm. There was a pretty good storm this week even, right? Not too long ago. I want you to remember a time when you witnessed a storm. Here's the big takeaway for me when I witness a big storm. And then I want to show you how that fits with what David writes to us in these verses. Big storms remind me of two important realities. First, they remind me about how big and significant God is. And then second, they remind me about how small and insignificant I am. Storms remind me of both those realities. Storms remind us of how big and significant God is. Listen again to verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Hebrew word translated flood here in verse 10 is only used in one other place in all the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 6. And so David is referring to the flood. Noah in the ark. The flood symbolizes the greatest storm in all of history. In fact, it was greater than all the other storms in history combined. Yet, even Over the flood, God sits unmoved, unchanged, unaffected. Oh, the cedars may break and the mountains may tremble, but the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Storms remind us of how big and significant God is. And storms remind us of how small and insignificant we are. Listen again to verse 11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. You know, when terrible storms hit, 
They cause us to feel vulnerable. They often leave our lives in utter chaos. Storms will take away our strongholds and remove our comforts. Yet it's the Lord who gives strength to his people. And it's the Lord who blesses his people with peace through the storms. Listen, church, I don't know of two greater realities for us to remember when we find ourselves weighed down and overwhelmed by the storms of life than these two. Remember, have these etched on your heart, these two realities from Psalm 29. The next time you find yourself in a storm, know these two realities. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood as king forever. And the Lord will give you strength and bless you with peace through the storm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm of praise. We want, to, we want to be caught up um, in this movement, in this current of glory. So we, we, just, we just give ourselves to you. We, we just humbly offer ourselves to you. Um, we recognize that you are worthy and that, uh, and, and, and in that, Father, we want to be a people who, who through not only our worship with our song, but through the worship in our lives, give you the most weight, give you the glory that's due your name. And Father, we praise you for these two realities. When we find ourselves in the storms of life, we praise you for these two realities that David reminds us here in Psalm 29, that you sit enthroned over the flood as king forever, unmoved, unaffected, unchanged. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that you give us strength when we're weak. And that you bless us with peace when there's chaos. And so we cling to these realities. Praise you for these realities. And most of all, Father, we praise you that through Jesus Christ, that we know that you intend to take us through the greatest storm in our life, and that's death. Because what Jesus Christ has done for us, that you will take us through that storm with strength and peace. Old death, where is your victory? Old death, where is your sting? So we... We praise you that even through the storm of death, because of Christ, Father, we can rest assured 
we can know that you are enthroned as king forever and that you will provide us with strength and peace. And so we praise you. You are worthy of our praise. This morning, we gather here together to ascribe glory to your name. Thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.